pastors here. And uh, if you haven't noticed, or maybe you're new, one of our kind of unspoken values here is authenticity. Uh, we really want to be authentic. We're pretty, I'm pretty impatient with faking, and, and this actually comes out in our band. So, you know, why do we have a bluegrass band uh, once a month? Well, these are the people God has blessed us with. Um, Paul has taught me some things. I don't know if you know this. You, there's actually a computer program, and so a worship leader could have a computer, and they could be like, let's add a bass. And they could just, like, push buttons and add all the instruments and make it sound like the radio. Uh, but he is very anti that, which I appreciate. And I said, why? He's like, because I want to use who God gives us. Let's be authentic with, with who God gives us because it's not a production um, it's worship. And so that's why we do that. And today we're going to be authentic by looking at a passage that's very difficult. Um, so turn to Romans, if you would. And we're going to ask and answer, answer a question today. How did our culture get so bad? And what can we do to fix it? Right? Um, maybe you'll agree with this statement. Uh, I'm not telling you how old I am, but it's between 40 and 50. And in my life, in my life, um, I don't think I've ever seen a time like this uh, where people are so angry, um, people are so depressed, uh, morality has taken such a leap uh, away from God's ways. Why are we there? And actually, Scripture, what we're going to look at today, kind of tells us and then tells us what we can do about it. And here, for me, I think this is the biggest part as I look at this, the evidences of when a culture goes far away from God, like we're moving, like we've been moving, people get hurt, right? God's way is best. And when we go away from God, people get hurt. You know the second leading cause of death for people under 35 is suicide. When I saw it, that's shocking. To me, that's, number one is accidents. Number two is suicide. And then the rates of antidepressants and depression and all that stuff. And by the way, I'm not one who would say, that's bad. Don't take antidepressants. If you need them, you should take them. But it's also being pushed, right? There's, there's also this lean. People are more afraid, more anxious than they've ever been before. What's the problem? Well, turn to Romans, if you would. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> we began last week. Uh, we're going to be in Romans for about 20 weeks, which if you know the book of Romans, you would say, that's really fast because there is a lot of really good stuff in here. But last week, we looked at the theme of the book. The theme of the book in Romans 1, 16 and 17 is basically that the righteous live by faith. That one little truth changed the course of history. Martin Luther, right, when, when he was a, a Catholic priest and a monk, he read these verses and was set free. I'm saved by faith, not by works. And that started off the Reformation. Well, that is the theme of the book. But now we're going to look at kind of the other side of the same coin. Look at verse 18, if you would. Romans 1, 18. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Maybe you've heard the question, how could a good God send people to hell? Maybe you've thought that. When we get to know God, the real question is, how in the world could anybody actually be saved? When we get to know God in his holiness and his righteousness, and then we look at humanity and we look at ourselves, we go, how is it possible that somebody could actually be saved? That is a more accurate question when we know God. Then, how could a good God send people to hell? Because as we look at scripture, that part's obvious. We all deserve it. 
And so we're going to see here, too, that, that God allows people to go the direction they want. And so somebody actually being saved, as we see in verses 16 and 17, somebody actually experiencing the righteousness of God is totally grace, right? It's totally a gift from God, and it's a miracle every single time. But in verse 18, what do we see? It begins that the wrath of God is revealed. Connect this to verse 17, where we see the righteousness of God is revealed, right? When you're reading scripture, look at context, look at things that are repeated. Revealed is repeated. So we saw the righteousness of God, that he acts rightly according to who he is, and he makes us right by Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we place our faith in him, we can be made right. So his righteousness is revealed. But now the other side of kind of the same coin. If God is righteous and just, there's the other side, his wrath. His anger. And what is his wrath or his anger against? Well, let's read all the way through verse 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. We're going to follow, this is a pretty well-organized argument that Paul gives, and we're going to follow it by looking at a couple words, and the first word is revelation. Revelation. God has clearly revealed some things about himself. What has he revealed? He goes through this list here, he says, you know, for what can be known, it's plain, his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and divine nature. Some things have been revealed about God, specifically his power, his divine nature. What is that? Um, one would be design, right? We look at creation, and that's what he's saying. Look at creation, you know some things. Look at creation, we, te- we can see that God is a powerful designer. Again, this is the argument of intelligent design versus evolution and accident. If you walk out, you know, on a, on a beach, this is a good old classic argument. You're walking on a beach, you find a pocket watch sitting there. You don't pick up the pocket watch and you go, my goodness, how amazing that the waves beating these sand together for thousands of years created a pocket watch. No, you look at it and you go, somebody made this pocket watch, right? It, something designed like this requires a designer. And the world, earth, creation is so much more in tune and intimately designed than just a pocket watch. You know, go down the list of of our distance from the sun, sitting on an axis where the moon is, all those things. We look at creation, and it points to a designer. So we can know this about God, that he is a powerful designer. We also know that he is benevolent. So, again, and I think this is part of his divine nature, his invisible attribute. We can tell that there's something good about this God. Have you ever heard of the Fibonacci sequence? Kind of cool thing. We uh, grew sunflowers this summer, the mammoth ones where the heads come over. And so we've been making sunflowers, cooking them. Well, it was my job to take most of the sunflowers out. The girls said they would, but they didn't. Um, So I ended up having to take all the seeds out of the sunflowers. Well, something I noticed as I was doing it is in the middle, you know, they're really tight. You don't even want those. They're too small, but they're really tight and they get bigger as they go out. Well, there was a kind of a spiral design on the sunflower. And it's called the Fibonacci sequence, actually. So in in that spiral, it's the beginning, and then the next line is double the first one. And then the next one is double. So if the first one is one, the next one is two, 
The next one is four. The next one is eight. Anyway, that design is, it shows up all over creation. Snail shells, galaxies. Uh, down, go Google it. All over the place. And it's been called God's fingerprint. That this mathematical, beautiful design shows up in flowers, in snails, in all over the place. It's just God going, that's me. That's right. So we look at design. We can see that there is a God who is good, who is benevolent. How about the eyebrow? It's the only piece of hair on your body that grows up, unless you're weird. <laughs> right? It grows up. Why? Well, so that when the sweat drips down, it hits and moves to the side. I mean, that's a simple little thing, but it tells us something about our God. He loves us. He gives us animals, cats, dogs, horses, what, that, that like us. I mean, how weird, right, that a dog, when you come home, is wagging, I'm so glad to see you. You know, but there's some, that, that tells us something about God. He is benevolent. In verse 20 here, when it, and it says that uh, since creation of the world and the things that have been made, that word made is the Greek word poema. Does that sound familiar? poem. It's the same word used in Ephesians 2.10 where it says we, when we're created new in Christ, are his masterpieces. We are a poem. God created things beautifully designed. It's not just an accident. And so we know some things about God. Every person looks at creation and instinctively knows there is a God who is powerful, intelligent, and benevolent. And what Paul writes here is that no one is, has an excuse. Everyone looks at creation and knows these things. This is called special revelation. Everybody gets it, and we know it. Now, we need specific revelation to get the name of Jesus, right, to get some of the details revealed in Scripture, which is why God uses us to share that specific revelation with others. But if people respond rightly to the general revelation, God will give them specific revelation. So we all know these things to be true. So what's the problem? What's the problem of our culture? What's the problem in all the world? All over the, what's the problem? It's in verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That sets up the context of everything else we look at. Right? We're going to see a list of sins, in it, but the problem is suppressing, suppressing the knowledge of God that we have. Many people... And cultures reject God's revealed truth about himself. And so that's the second word. The first one, revelation. The second one, rejection. People reject the knowledge that they have or suppress it. So here's the, the picture that came to mind, and I wasn't going to share it, but it kept coming to mind. But it's like you have a, two brothers, right? They're home. Older brother is in charge of the younger. Mom and dad are on a date. Older brother does something he's not supposed to do. Younger brother goes, I'm going to go get the phone and tell mom. No, you know, grabs him, puts him on the couch, puts a pillow on him and sits on it, right? Well, then the phone rings. And he's able to, hey, oh, hey, mom, how are things going? Oh, everything's fine, right? And the kids are, you know, like, I want to tell, right? But that's kind of what, what people do with the knowledge of God. It's shove it under the pillow and sit on it. I don't want to know it, right? Or it's a la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, I, I know it's true, but I'm just going to pretend like it's not. It's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. That's the problem. And that's the problem we need to have fixed. And what does that earn? Verse 18, the wrath of God, wrath. That word means anger. Now, it's not a temper tantrum. It's not an outburst of anger. It's a very uh, controlled state of and, but emotional state against the situation. Why? Because we were created to have a relationship with God. 
We were made to glorify him, to worship him. And when we don't, it earns his anger because it's just not right. And again, God is not selfish. God wants things to be right. He designed it. This is not right. The wrath of God refers to his fixed anger towards sin and a person's consistent rejection of God. And I would add in there, and a culture's. Because what Paul then goes on to describe, it's not just the individual, but a culture. So look at verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. So here's the next word. God reveals himself. People reject it, but inevitably, they must replace him with something. So that's the next word, replacement. When people reject the truth of God, then in their darkened mind, they seek for a replacement. They exchange what they know to be true for what they can accept. Voltaire says, In the beginning, God made man in his own image. And man has been trying to return the favor ever since. Because if there's a God, right? General revelation. If there's a God who's powerful, benevolent, right? Divine, then he's in charge. Meaning he might get to define morality, define the course of my... Well, I don't want somebody else to... I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want to do. And so we'll replace him with something in our own image, right? That's the world that Paul is writing to. This is the Greek and Roman world. They, they worshipped Jupiter uh, and Egypt, then Ra. Go down all the list. Old Testament is written in the same situation. Polytheism is, was the religion of the day, right? Idolatry was the religion of the day. What is idolatry? You remember the Ten Commandments? Maybe not. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. They meet God on Mount Sinai, and he gives them over 600 commandments, but the first 10, they're the most popular. He gives them the 10. And number one, you shall have no other gods before me. That's his number one thing, right? In the New Testament, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But number one in all of creation, that God is first, God is one, we worship him, that's the right order. When we put anything before him, that is idolatry. And throughout history, throughout cultures, people will replace them with real things. A totem pole, right? An idol, a calf. Go down the list. Now, we look around at our culture and go, I don't see our idols, right? Right? We don't have a temple to Artemis down the street. But we do have idols, right? If, If an idol is a replacement, what do we replace God with? Well, we look at creation and go, okay, how does this exist? We will replace him with evolution. If evolution is true, I get to do what I want. Survival of the fittest. I just got to be strong or what, right? So we replace him with other things. Science, humanism, government, honestly, right? We replace him with other things. R.C. Sproul says, the fool, referring to these verses, the fool is not only being stupid, he's also being wicked because he is denying what he knows to be true. I mean, this seems like harsh language, right? Fool, stupid. This is not talking about intelligence. This is not talking about IQ. 
This is talking about rejecting the basic knowledge of God that is evident. And we have some really good examples. Ever heard of Richard Dawkins? Genius, right? Genius, astrophysicist, I believe. Genius. Uh, and, and he, by the way, in his life, he didn't think you were very bright if you believe in God. So how did, what did he come to, right? He rejected God, so he must replace it with something. His replacement, his conclusion was aliens. We're here because of aliens, right? Smart guy. How about Elon Musk? That guy's pretty smart. That guy's been around. He's doing some, what's his conclusion? Rejects God, must replace him with something. Most likely, according to him, we're in a computer simulation. R right? So you hear these and it's like, oh, that sounds so stupid. But they're really, they're way smarter than me. <laughs> so the problem isn't intelligence. The problem is rejecting God and replacing him with anything else. It is destructive. Right? So once we replace him, it is destructive. Things happen. Look at verse 24, I believe is where we're at. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I like how Paul throws that in at the end. I mean, all of this feels really negative. You know, Paul is diagnosing culture. Why is culture the way it is? And by the way, his, his world was what he's describing right here. So he describes it, and he's like, oh, it's so bad. But God is so good, and so he has to kind of throw this in right here. Blessed be God, right? The creator, oh, he's blessed forever, amen. He just has to throw that in because too much negativity, I guess, just doesn't work. Because God is good, but what, did, what is happening here, right? They reject God. They replace him. And so here, their, their, their hearts are darkened, and God gives them over. It does not go well. The next word is reprobation. Replacing God leads to reprobation. That's a weird word, right? We don't talk like that nowadays, reprobate. What's that mean? A reprobate, unprincipled or depraved person with no moral scruples. This is the result. The point is, there's evidence when people reject God, and when a culture does, it goes somewhere, and it doesn't go well for the society. It doesn't go well for the people. Uh, my grandma, when she was young, they had in their yard a water jug and a gasoline jug, and they looked the same. I don't know why. Um, and she replaced one on accident, poured a glass of gasoline, and drank it. Oops. Um, that's not going to go well. She lost her sense of smell. So all growing up, grandma, great cook, great baker. We'd go to her, oh, it smells so good. She couldn't smell it, right? She could do all this stuff and make it. Replacing the truth with a lie is destructive. That's what's going on here. In a society that we reject God, then we have to replace him. It doesn't go well. The Bible is full of instructions, and they're for our good. Anything God tells us is for our Good. It's not because he's a killjoy. It's because he wants what's best for us. And so here we see some of this evidence of rejecting God. Here's why I think this fits our culture a little bit. Uh, maybe some of you who are a little bit older, when you were kids, there was just a general acceptance of the things of God in culture. There was a general, there's a God, and we'll go along with his morality, but this new culture, this new generation... <clears throat> doesn't have the blessings 
even I had growing up. It's kind of like the chains are off. We have dogs, so we have too many dogs. Um, and, and when the dogs go in the yard, there's some dogs that like to wander, and so we put up this invisible fence, right? Ran the wire all along, put the collar on the dog. Um, and by the way, it's very humane. Uh, we tested it on the kids. So, <laughs> which if you do that, video it. Um, but so the, the kid, or the dog, right? The, the dogs learn. They get the collar on, and they, it's like beep, beep, beep. Zzz, oh, I don't like that. And so they learn, once they hear the beep, avoid the shock, don't get too close. Well, the dogs are pretty smart. And so they'll be wrestling, and one will pull the collar off the other one, or it gets unplugged in the garage. They start to figure it out. They go near, it's like, ooh, I don't hear any beeping, right? They get pretty soon, they figure it out. Okay, here's the, the boundary. I'm on the other side. It's like, see ya, gone, <laughs> right? It's like where the dogs go, the collar's off, and we got to go. That's culture, right? When we play with that, we, oh, the boundaries are gone, right? We just go. We just, as far as we can get away from what's best for us, what's got, and that's what's happening with our culture. We had some restraints for a while. The restraints are gone. Why are we going so rapidly away? Because it's just so accepted now. And again, I'm not trying to not culture necessarily or you know, take a high stance, but we're just looking at what Paul is saying. He is diagnosing cultures here. And now he's going to give some examples of reprobation. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What is the first example he gives when a culture rejects God and goes that way, what's the first example? It's homosexuality. Now, let's be clear. Why? Is it because that's worse than all the other ones? No. Right? The penalty for all sin is death. The wages of sin is death. All sin results in eternity separated from God unless we're covered by the blood of Jesus. So why this one first? Well, what was his argument before? Nature. Right? Some things about nature we know, some things about God we know by looking at nature. When you reject God, you reject nature. This is the main example of that. A culture that is fully going to embrace homosexuality has rejected what is clear in nature. Right? So, again, this isn't to take one group of people and demonize them. The, the church has done that. That's not the point. The point is this is the best example because we look at nature. We look at how bodies work. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't line up. Right? I mean, it just doesn't. It's against nature. Why does he refer to women first? I think that's interesting, too. Because I think we can admit, men, women in general are more moral than us. Women in general are, are a little bit better than us. Men, I think, are quicker to go toward reprobation. So he puts the women first to go. You go long enough in a society, this is going to be accepted. And Paul was writing in a day and age where that was accepted. Where it was just part of the lifestyle, no big deal. Right? And throughout history, this is where cultures go. By the time they get there, they're pretty close to the end. And I'm going to throw one more in here. Uh, infanticide is another one of those. So we're going to see a list where murder is on the list. But what, those cultures, when they get near the end, Rome, this time was one of those. Where if they had a baby they didn't want, they would just go leave it and let it die. And it was the Christians that were like, whoa, time out, and started going and collecting them all, right? 
But look at our culture now. Infanticide, abortion, rampant. It's just evidence of the problem, which is rejecting God. Now, our culture, <clears throat> we're going to look at the rest of the list, but our culture is pushing really hard on this right now, which I think is helpful that Paul writes about it. But our culture is saying, okay, homosexuality is just, it's an alternative lifestyle. It's equal and opposite and good, right? It's fun. The truth, what's he saying here? We exchange the truth for a lie. The truth is it's not. The truth is it's not healthy. It doesn't lead to flourishing. Here's the truth. 78% of male homosexuals will have an STD. Over 50% carry HPV, and they are 1,000 times more likely to get HIV. It's not an alternative healthy lifestyle, and that's just a couple. We can go down the list of depression, suicide, all higher among that population. It doesn't work. And the Bible's clear on this topic. Some today are trying to get around this in the church, right? And, and we do it by either accepting it, right, of, oh, that's just cultural, uh, oh, that's referring to just men with boys. Well, it's so clear here. The Bible's pretty clear. And so they'll say, oh, we accept it, can't do that. Or we're going to come, this is now the main sin, and we're going to come against it. Well, that's also not the godly way to do it. But what we see here. It says they, they earn in their bodies the due penalty for their error. God allows people to experience the consequence of sin as they reject him. God allows people to experience the consequences of sin as they reject him. This is God's wrath, but in it there's also a hint of his grace. Because when people find the bottom, they can only look up. So part of God's grace is letting people go that way. It's also his anger letting people go. But then they hopefully will look up. Nobody is beyond salvation. That's, that's the good news. You know, Paul will write about another list in Corinthians, and homosexuality will be in it, among others. And he says, and such were some of you. Meaning, you got pride because you don't deal with, no pride. Such were some of, you were there too, but you were washed, you were cleaned, you were healed, you were rescued. Nobody is beyond rescue. So there's no pride in the church. There's humility because such were us, right, in sin, and God saved us. God can save others because the problem is rejecting God. The answer is accepting the knowledge of God. That's the answer. The answer is not changing culture. The answer is not coming against people or a group of people. The answer is we need the knowledge of God. But the next thing we see, when a culture rejects God, it inevitably leads to ruin. Look at verse 28. <clears throat> it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Look at this list. If any of us read the first one about homosexuality, we're like, well, that's not me. You read this list, you're like, oh. <laughs> Ideally, we read this list and we're humbled by it. R.C. Sproul again. 
He says, if we can make it through Paul's list without feeling pangs of conscience, we're psychopaths. <laughs> because in this list, we see ourselves. We see the things that we used to deal with. We see things in here we do deal with. And again, where do these come from? Rejecting the knowledge of God. Disobedient to parents is in there. I find that very interesting. A culture that, that has a culture of kids disobedient to parents. Do we have that culture now? We absolutely do. In fact, we're at a point where parents don't even want obedience. I mean, we're so far in that way, in many culture, you know, aspects of our culture gone that way. That is evidence just like homosexuality, right? This list, so we're not elevating one above the other. One is more clearly against nature, but all, I mean, you look at a family, kids that are disobedient, you're like, that's just not right. That's also against nature. But these are evidence of the problem. These are not the problem, although they are the problem. They're really evidence of the problem. How do you fix a problem? Go to the root. What's the root? A lack of a knowledge of God or a suppression of the knowledge of God. And in our world right now, in our culture, there is a push to normalize all these things, right? How does this end? Look at the last verses, verse 32. It says, though they know God's righteous decree... So this is one of those things you know about God just by looking at creation. They know his righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So not only doing evil, but wanting others to accept it and be involved in it. Right? Kind of like the dog that goes over the fence. It's worse when there's two dogs. For some reason, they feed off each other and they go farther. Right? Get two boys together. They're going to get in way more trouble than one boy. Right? One throws a rock, I can throw it farther. I, I, I mean, when we go towards sin, it feels better if there's others around us going with us, patting us on the back. This is why culture will not accept us standing firm on biblical truth. They must change us for their own, because they know they're wrong. They look at, they know it, but yet they, they want to change us. If we're not going to give into it ourselves, at least we should say it's okay and even celebrate it and clap it. But we can't. We can't. This is where the church has, has, again, gone two extremes. Either come against all this sin, self-righteous, cut off the rest of the world. When we do that, we're useless. That's not, I mean, God left us here for a reason. Because we are God's method of getting this knowledge out. He's given us his word. He's given us his, he works through his people, not around them. So we're here for a reason, right? But sometimes the church and sometimes with a decent heart, I think, of, oh, we need to stay relevant to culture, we'll then say, well, we're just going to change it then, and we're going to cut, we're going to highlight some of this with a Sharpie. Like, yeah, murder, that's bad. Uh, but gossip, yeah, that one's okay, right? And we'll just go through, and we start accepting certain things and identifying with certain things. This is in your notes, and you're not going to like it. You cannot be a faithful Jesus follower and condone lifestyles of sin. Now, notice what that says. Faithful. It doesn't mean that you can't be saved and struggle with sin. That's all of us. Right? But it does mean that you cannot be faithfully following, like in this moment, I'm faithfully following God, but I'm also living in sin and claiming it's okay. I'm an alcoholic, but I'm saved. It's okay. I'm just going to stay an alcoholic. I'm going to keep drinking. It's okay. I'm a homosexual, but that's who I am. But I'm also a follower of God. You might be a follower of, I mean, you might be saved, but you're not being faithful in that. And, and it goes down any of these, a slanderer, a gossip, right? If you're, 
condoning living in that, you are not being faithful. I'm not saying you, you're not saved, but it is unfaithfulness. And so we as a church need to stand on truth with grace. Good luck with that, right? How can we communicate? How can we live these truths but with grace? Because such were some of you and you were rescued. And so we love those who struggle with this. They need the knowledge of God and we exist here to give it to them. Here's some good news. In this culture that Paul is writing to, the culture died. Rome is gone. I mean, Rome is still there. But this culture's gone. And go through the list of all those in the past that went this far. Gone. Do we have much hope for this culture? I don't know. But I, think, I, I do think there's hope. Honestly, we've had, we've had great revivals in the past. We could have them again. That could happen. But it's the knowledge of God. It's not something else. But in this day and age, that culture failed. It went into ruin. But the church exploded. People were saved. People found life. People were rescued from idolatry and sin. We can have that hope too. And so what's the solution? The solution's not government. Should we vote? Yes. But is some person going to fix it? No. The solution is that people gain the knowledge of God. So are our efforts into changing laws? We should vote for godly laws because it's better for people. I mean, God's rules are better for people. But... I think a lot of times the church is so focused on that rather than on living it, sharing their faith, and, and increasing the knowledge of God, not just getting to people to stop sinning, getting people to behave. That's just not the right way. So the knowledge of God is the problem. The answer is the knowledge of God. If we accept that Jesus died the death we deserve for sin, we can experience increasing holiness and avoid the corruption of sin. And then with that, we express that to others, right? Is it hate coming through us? It better not because that's not God. When we are forgiven, we can bring that forgiveness to others. And we look back at verses 16 and 17, where we are saved by faith alone. God's righteousness in that he makes us right based on his work. It's all about Jesus, right? We get so focused on sin. We get so focused on all these things. Let's focus on Jesus, find our life in him. And then be bold enough to reject sin in love, right? Be bold enough to learn to grow with grace with others. Good luck with that. We're going to talk about that in our groups. But God has given us everything we need to live this life his way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we love you. God, I thank you for verses 16 and 17. I thank you that we're saved by faith, not by works. Um, I thank you. That as you said in, through Paul in Corinthians, such were some of you, but you were rescued, you were cleaned. That God, we don't have to live in our sin. We don't have to live in our temptation. We don't have to identify with those things, but you can save us. And then you can heal us. You can sanctify us. Make us more like your son. God, I thank you for these verses. I do pray for a heart of love, of grace. God, um, a heart where maybe some of us are sitting here and we read this and go, I don't like that. I want the culture to be true. I, I pray for a heart of humility to surrender to your way. But God, some of us might have the other, uh, uh, some pride, some anger against those sinners. I pray that, that you would soften those hearts. That, that rather, God, we would have mercy and compassion for those stuck in sin. And that you could use us to bring the knowledge of you. And God, if you see fit, save our culture. 
God, and I, we know it won't be through politics. We, won't, we know it won't be through who's in the White House. We know it'll be through your people living it and many others coming to the knowledge of you. We would love to see that take place in our lives. We would love to see that take place soon. Uh, let your will be done. We trust you in Jesus' name, amen.